Good morning, Grace Fellowship family and those of you who are joining us for the first time on live stream, or maybe you're listening to our radio broadcast this afternoon. Now, I know we would all much rather be together in person this morning, but I have to say that my heart is overflowing with gratitude to everyone who works so hard to make this moment together in a new way possible. Grace Fellowship, you need to know that you have been blessed beyond measure with a team of people who love Jesus and who love you and have gone above and beyond to step into uncharted waters, and I am beyond grateful. I can also say I have learned a lot of things over the past several weeks. I have learned a much nicer way of describing arguments with my wife. We aren't fighting kids, we're just social distancing. I've learned the most important thing you apparently need during a worldwide threat of respiratory illness is a year's supply of toilet paper. I would not have known that before all of this happened. I also learned something about myself. You know, I think I'm at that age in life when you start to have a real hard time with change. I'll just be honest with you. Adapting to new methods of ministry has been much harder than I thought it would be. Maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you're looking at everything that's going on around you and you're wondering, what should I do? The stock market's dropping. Grocery stores are having trouble keeping certain things in stock because people are panic buying and hoarding things. Schools have closed. Professional sports aren't playing. Travel's restricted. Gathering together is limited. Businesses are closing. Concerts have been canceled. I mean, it's, I think, quite normal to ask the question, what should we do? Should we just ignore all the recommendations? You know, let's just all go buy a $20 plane ticket to the beach. If I'm being honest, I thought about it. Should we stockpile Chef Boyardee ravioli? Uh, I could get behind that plan. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are not supposed to panic. We're supposed to filter all of our decisions through the wisdom of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm not supposed to live like someone who has no hope. I'm not supposed to live like someone who is consumed by worry or fear. Our lives should look different during a crisis. Our lives shouldn't look like uh, post-apocalyptic movies where it's chaos and, and dune buggy bad guys stealing everybody's last can of ravioli. So what does it look like to apply the wisdom of God to a troubled time in life? How can we be wise about our troubles? I want to offer you three simple thoughts that I hope will be helpful to you during this time of trouble. Here's the first one. 
We need to live by faith, not fear. Live by faith, not fear. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we live by faith, not by sight. As believers, we know that faith is hope in what we cannot see. Faith is hope in who we cannot see. And it is that faith that gives us strength and courage and peace in troubled times. I don't know if you have your Bible with you or you have access to your Bible right now, but if you would, I'm going to ask you to join me. John chapter 14. Jesus said this. In John 14, 1, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. That's a pretty nice thing, right? That Jesus would not want our hearts to be troubled, that we should trust in him. Verse 27, he said this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. We might hear that or read it and think, oh, well, thank you, Jesus. That's very nice. That'll look really nice on a, on a wooden sign I can hang in my home. Now listen, you need to understand the context of when Jesus said this. It was right before Jesus was about to be arrested and executed. It was right before their entire world was about to be upended and fear was about to attack them on a level they had only experienced when they thought they were going to drown during a storm at sea. In fact, if you fast forward in the story, after the crucifixion of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, where do we find the disciples in chapter 20? have your Bible, you can look and see in, in verse 19, we can see where they were. It says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The disciples were hiding behind locked doors. They were afraid. They were, they were self-quarantined in fear. But look what happens. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. He said, peace be with you. Jesus came and offered peace. That's what Jesus does for us, believer. He comes and he brings us peace in troubled times. So we live by faith that Jesus is still in control we live by faith that Jesus still loves us, that Jesus will provide all that we need to get through this and any other trouble we face in life. For the believer, we live by faith, not by fear. Second simple thought I would offer you is this. We should be living a Jesus-centered life, not a self-centered life. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, if you look at verses 3 and 4, it says this, don't be selfish. It goes on to say, don't try to impress others. We should be humble. 
And we should think of others as better than ourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't be selfish. You know, we've been studying through the, the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, we already looked at these, these verses in, in chapter 10, verse 24. Paul writes, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And then in verse 33, he says that he tries to please everyone and everything that he does. He, he doesn't just do what's best for him. He says, I do what is best for others so that they may be saved. There's this theme throughout Scripture that Jesus taught us, that the apostles taught us, to, to not be selfish. This is a great opportunity to think deeper about what it really means to live a Jesus-centered life. Is living a Jesus-centered life just about getting together on a Sunday morning at a particular building? Whereas living a Jesus-centered life also about learning how to live a life of hope and love and light in the world that we live in with the people in our communities. This is an opportunity for us to serve others in ways that we may not have thought of before all of this happened. If you're part of our church family, I would encourage you to take a minute and go to our website, Grace Fellowship. Dot online, gracefellowship.online. We, we have two buttons there that you can click on. One is if you have a need, we want to know about that. We, we love you. We care about you. If you have a need, let us know about it. You can click on that button and, and tell us about it. There's a button right beside it that says want to help with a need. And we've got people in our church that are incredible and loving and caring, and they want to help others. We want to be able to connect those who have a need to those who want to help meet a need. We have that system in place. I would encourage you to take that opportunity to serve in a way maybe you never thought of before. I think this is also an opportunity to give. To give to God because we love God. I think sometimes we get into our routine, into our habits, and maybe we even give to God because it's like some transactional activity that we do at church, like a tip at a restaurant, but... But maybe now we can step back and really consider, am I going to give to God because I love God? Is this going to be a sacrifice in my life to really give to God because I love him? You know, I know there's some uncertainty about what's going to happen in the economy. And I get that. I mean, that's going to impact all of us in some way. But I come back and I read what Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. He said this. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Boy, haven't we learned that to be true? He says, instead, command them to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We have an opportunity right now to really live that out, to really test ourselves, to see if we really believe that about God. 
We can live a life of faith instead of fear. And we can live a Jesus-centered life, not a self-centered life. And the third simple thought I would offer you is this. We can continue to be the church, not just wish that we could gather at a church. I'm going to read to you something from Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible access uh, to your Bible, you can join me there in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to jump in the story at verse 44. Let me read this to you. It says in Acts 2 verse, uh, I'll start in verse 42. It says, all the believers, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And they devoted themselves to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. First century Christian faced extreme persecution. They lived often in extreme poverty because of their faith. Oftentimes they were rejected by their family. Their businesses were boycotted. They lost their jobs. Sometimes they even lost their lives. In fact, as the persecution got worse, many of them were actually forced to leave the city, and they had to figure out how to do life in a new way. They had to figure out how to do church in a different way. But what did they do in these troubled times did they hoard all the toilet paper in Jerusalem for themselves? Did they call it quits on living out their faith and following Jesus? No. They continued to meet. They met in small groups. They spent time in each other's homes. They lived life together. Just because we are not gathering in a large group right now doesn't mean that we should stop meeting together. Maybe it will look different than we're used to for a little while. But that might be a good thing for some of us. I think some of us only think about our Christian brothers and sisters on Sunday when we see them at the big gathering and we shake hands and we're like, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good as well. Oh, well, that's good. This might be a great opportunity to think deeper about what it really means to be part of each other's lives and connected to our church family in a real relationship, something beyond surface level. Something else I also noticed in the first century church is they continued to share. They didn't stockpile the ravioli for themselves. They made sure people's needs were being met. We have an opportunity here to think beyond ourselves and to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our community. Rather than what we have a tendency to do, which is wait for the people in our community to stumble into our building and then offer them a smile and a bulletin and a place to sit, we, we have an opportunity here to do something more than that. 
something else I noticed about the first century churches. They continued to grow, even in times of trouble. People were consistently being saved, and discipleship was a really big priority. Even when life wasn't easy, in the midst of their troubles, their spiritual growth and sharing their faith was still a priority. I again want to mention our website, gracefellowship.online. You know, we've worked really hard to provide you with some great tools to disciple your children at home, to have personal devotions and time with the Lord, to have family devotions, maybe, maybe to work on your marriage. There's some amazing tools on Right Now Media that would help you uh, evaluate and, and learn some things about how you can strengthen your marriage. I want to challenge you, make the most of this time to invest in spiritual growth. Don't hit time out on that. We have a real opportunity during this time of trouble to be the church, not just wish that we could gather together at a church. I'll come back to my original question. What should we do during times of trouble? How can we be wise about our troubles? Live by faith. We can live a Jesus-centered life. We can continue to be the church. I want to finish with something that C.S. Lewis wrote 72 years ago in an article addressing the fears that people were having at the time about being killed by an atomic bomb. I can, I can actually remember uh, at one point practicing or tornadoes, and there were people that practiced in schools about what to do during atomic bomb. And this was a real thing in people's lives, and there was fears surrounding it. C.S. Lewis wrote an article entitled On Living in an Atomic Age, 1948. And I just want to read a short part of that to you. Listen carefully. He says, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century, when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you already are living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go on about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. 
if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. What C.S. Lewis wrote back in 1948 speaks to those of us who know Jesus and to those of you who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not even sure that God exists. Whether it's an atomic bomb or a virus that we cannot see, or maybe a million other possible ways to die, the reality is we all die. The only difference is whether or not we have hope beyond this life. There are those of us who have trusted Christ as their forgiver of sin and their savior from hell. We believe that when Jesus died on the cross as a sacrificial payment for sin, he rose from the dead three days later, proving he has won the victory over sin and death. If we really believe that, then we have hope beyond the grave and we truly have nothing to fear. Because we believe that a God who would love us so much, he would send his only son to die in our place. He would not stop short with his love during times of trouble. Do you have that hope this morning? I would encourage you, if you haven't yet trusted Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you to click the I'm Ready button on our website, gracefellowship.online, and learn more about taking that step of faith in Jesus Christ so that you can receive a new heart and eternal hope that can be shaken by the tr that can never be shaken by the troubles of this world. I'm going to leave all of you with something that Jesus said. He said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome this world. What should we do in troubled times? Above all else, trust Jesus. God bless you. I pray that God will meet all of your needs throughout this coming week in incredible ways. And I pray that we will be able to gather together again soon. But in the meantime, between now and that day, let's continue to live by faith. Let's continue to live a Jesus-centered life. And let's continue to be the church. Above all else and through all of that, let's continue to trust Jesus.